All right. Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Silver Creek Online. If you were at home and you were not dancing to that video, that was your last shot. So I apologize. We are done. Uh, for those of you that would like a copy of that so you can continue your uh, new exercise program, uh, let us know. We'll get that to you if that's your only 30 seconds of working out each week. There you go. Um, many of you are aware, and we've referenced it a couple times this morning, uh, but due to some outbreaks that have been happening um, at different religious services across the state of Washington, uh, the governor has decreed that for right now, uh, we can no longer have individuals in the room and do service uh, this way. And so we're back to being only online. We hope that you're staying safe, um, and we desperately look forward to the day where we will all be back together worshiping in one place. But what we know more than anything is that our God is real, and our God is powerful, and our God is active and not limited by our opportunity or lack of opportunity to come together. But even in the moment of being online, we can still worship, we can still connect with Him um, in this particular process or phase, and so we hope that's happening for you this morning. We know that God is big enough to do that. Um, and as was mentioned this morning, we are wrapping up our series calling, called Follow the Leader. Um, and throughout this summer, that has been our focus, is really trying to understand how it is that Jesus lived, how it is that Jesus responded, what it was that Jesus prioritized, and look at the way that he lived, and then understanding for those of us that have chosen to be in relationship with Jesus, we are called then to follow the example of our leader. And we follow the example of our leader, not because living like Jesus makes us right with God, not because doing what he did puts us in right standing with God, but recognizing that a response out of, our, out of the love and out of the grace that you and I have received from Jesus, we now strive to follow him as our leader. Now this morning, before we leave the series, I think it's really important for us to pause and take a moment and really look at what it is to be following our leader in the middle of our, our cultural awareness of the problem that we're dealing with and facing of racism. And so as I dive into this this morning, as we talk about racism, I want you to know something important about the way that I'm approaching this message particularly, and really what I feel like I am called to as a preacher in the way that we really approach ministry here at Silver Creek. As I write this and as I prepared this, I'm choosing to write for individuals that are, that are choosing to listen. My goal is not to, to come out and call the world into account right now. I'm not really writing this message. This morning is not about changing the mindset of leaders. My hope this morning, my process this morning, I'm not looking to change the minds and the, the hearts of those that disagree with us and bring them into alignment with my thinking and where I think God is calling us. I'm convinced more than anything that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have a message of hope that's available to the entire world. We have a message of hope of what Jesus has done that's available to those in our community. We have a message of hope that's known to those or available to those that we know. And as a church, we are very much called to share that message of Jesus, the message of his forgiveness, the message of his hope, the message of his restoration that all comes through his death and then ultimately through his resurrection. And then this morning, and most mornings, I am very much speaking directly to those that have accepted that message and then have chosen to be a part of Silver Creek. And my attempt this morning is to help those of us that already understand or already are in relationship with him, how do we understand better what it looks like to live out all that God has done for us? 
How do we live out of the response of that? And so as we wrap up this morning, this Follow the Leader series, I'm speaking to us as a church. To those of you that are a part of Silver Creek, and if you're watching Silver, or if you're watching this morning and you're not already a part of Silver Creek, if you're not already following Jesus, that's not something. This is an opportunity for you to understand and for you to see who we are as a church and who we are as followers of Christ. And as we witness and as we begin to understand and as we get a better indication of all of the injustice that's happening around us, you and I need to recognize as a church what it is that we're called to. Now, I want you to know something up front. I, I am not in any way claiming to be an expert on the topic of racial injustice. I do, however, feel like I'm a bit of an expert on how Jesus called us to live. And the reason that I feel like I'm a bit of an expert on how Jesus called us to live is not because I'm super smart. It's just that he was really clear. One of Jesus' closest followers, a friend of his by the name of Mark, who spent a lot of time with him and followed him around, wrote, recorded it, and wrote down the words and the actions of Jesus. So I want you to listen to what Jesus said about himself and understand that he was showing us what it means to be a follower of his and what it looks like when we follow the leader and how we should live. The verses are on the screen. This is what it says. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I will not be able to deal with the racial injustice that's happening around if we're looking to preserve self. And Jesus was saying he did not come to serve himself or to be served, but he came to give his life as a ransom for many. If our attempt is to preserve self, we cannot serve others. We cannot deal with racial injustice. We cannot deal with some of the situations that, we're, that are going on if we're looking to protect what we think is owed to us. Jesus gave that up. And so if we're going to wrestle with the concept of what it means to live our life in a way that reflects him and to really follow the example of Jesus, then we need to be ready to give up our life, to serve others, to not be served but to serve, and to follow the example that he gave as he gave up his life. And maybe that doesn't mean that we have to die physically, but likely we're going to have to give something up that, that we hold on to tightly. Maybe, maybe what we have to give up is the life that we so oftentimes believe that we deserve. Now, hundreds of years before Jesus made this statement, we saw what's so important to God. He communicated it through one of the prophets, a prophet by the name of Micah. And Micah and the other prophets would oftentimes speak for God. This is what Micah said. Micah said, the Lord God has told us what is right and what he demands. See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. If you and I are going to see justice happen, what that means is that we can't stand by and watch when injustice is happening. And so my prayer this morning and what I've been asking God to help us as a church family to see and begin to understand what it is that we can do is how do we act justly? How do we see justice happen? How do we love mercy and let mercy rule in what we do? And how do we walk humbly and obey God? And ultimately, how do we act justly, love mercy, follow humbly, or obey humbly and follow our leader? 
in such a way that when, that when people that are outside of the church watch what we're doing and see what we're doing and watch the way that they live the, or the way that we live and the way that we conduct ourselves, they would say, what, what, is, what is different about this group? Why is this group acting this way? And they would begin to recognize, well, that's what followers of Jesus those that claim to be his followers, that's the way they respond. That's the way that they love others. That's the way that they love each other. That through those actions, they would understand what is important to God and that we would respond in that. Paul, one of the early church leaders, begins to describe what it should look like within the church and how we should be responding to one another. He wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he was describing to this church that, that the church, the church globally, the big church, not just the local church, but the, the church is essentially the body of Christ, showing that each and every part of the body, each and every one of us collectively come together as unique parts, but as a collective, we become the body of Christ. The church is the body made up of many parts, and so Paul says this. Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So if a portion of the body hurts, then what that means is that all of the body should hurt. If my arm hurts, my whole body is hurting. And honestly, we, we know right now that there are many people that are suffering, and they are grieving, and they are hurting beyond description. And, and I recognize that not every person that's suffering and not every person that's hurting is a part of the body of Christ. Not everybody that's saying that they are in a difficult position, not all of them are followers of Jesus, but there was without a doubt many, many, many people, many people of color, people of the black community that are a part of the body of Christ and they are suffering and they are hurting. And nobody gets to determine if they should be hurting or if they should not be hurting or if they should be suffering or if they should not be suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. If, if an individual is telling us that they are hurting, if an individual is telling us that they are suffering, then they are hurting and they are suffering. And when part of us hurts, then all of us hurts. And when a part of us suffers, then all of us suffers. Paul, in another letter to the Romans, said this, he said, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now, we're really good at the rejoicing part. We got this. We're really good. I mean, it's almost like second nature. We're really good at this. We're, we're great at rejoicing and celebrating with each other. I mean, a lot of you know that this last summer I was able to, to buy a really cheap sailboat, and, and we've been working and learning how to sail this summer, and it has been amazing. And excuse me, a lot of people have been excited for that and celebrating that. We're good at that. We're good at rejoicing. But when those that are a part of us mourn, when those that are a part of us are suffering, we need to mourn with them. We need to grieve with them. And as a ch church family, we need to pause and grieve with those that are grieving and mourn with those that are mourning. Take another drink and see if I can clear this thing up. What's going on? I don't think a cough drop's going to help. Sorry. get better. We'll go to a cough drop. So what I want to ask you to do this morning <clears throat> is to grieve. But not just to grieve, to grieve and then decide that we're going to make a difference. And, and I know for many of you, you, you want to make a difference. I know for many of you, we're watching the situation and we're watching what's going on and we're like, what do I do? How do I respond? And we want to jump in, but, but we're not really always sure how. So let's talk about it today. 
I want to try and just get as straight with you as I can and, and kind of look at what it looks like to respond to this. So my hope is that that's okay. My hope is that this morning that you're like, oh, let's talk about it. Because if you're anything like me, anytime that we, that we read something or we hear something about some injustice that's going on in some part of the world, <coughs> okay, I'll take a cough drop. <coughs> I tried. Oh, I think we got one right here. Woo, woo, woo. Oh, they threw it at me and there's lights. <laughs> Whoever's running the camera, can we, can we do a boop or a <laughs> No, if we're just, hey, welcome to live TV. Come back here, I'm going to throw this wrapper at you now. Okay, let's try this again. If you're like me, and you ever read about or you hear about an injustice that's happening in some part of the world, when, when we see that, we become, we become sad in that moment, and we become troubled by it in that moment. But because it's so far away, and because it's so big, that, that life begins to happen, and we begin to hear about this injustice, but then it's like, eh, I got stuff. I mean, we, we hear about this injustice and we think about it for a moment and we're like, well, that's really unfortunately fortunate and, we, and we're genu- genuinely sad and genuinely hurt by it and genuinely moved by it. But then because of our human nature and life and all that could be happening, and even if we hate it, what we're seeing, and, and it, because it's so far away and because it's not right in our face, sometimes even though we're upset a bit about it, we're like, ah, I don't really know how to act and it's so far away and I, and, and I should, but I don't really know how to do it. And right now, we're at a position where we are having access to so many videos and so many situations and so many stories that for so long we have not paid any attention to prior to this moment. And so many videos and so many situations are right here. It's not far away. It's right here. It's so close to home. And as I talk about this this morning, let me just be super transparent. I am sadly way too new to this situation. And honestly, as some of these recent videos have started to roll out, and as some of this has started to hit the world, I'll be honest, I've asked questions like, well, what was that individual doing right before that? Tell tell me what their criminal record was. What, what, What did they say to escalate the situation? And let me just be really clear. The problem is not a police issue. This is an us issue. This is an as people issue, and we have to collectively figure it out. And as these videos keep rolling out, and as, as we continue to see these, we, we are repeatedly witnessing that we have to figure out something. And I don't know about you, but I'm finding it sometimes impossible to put words to the emotions that we feel. And it's somehow, it's more than shock and it's deeper than grief. And I find myself in this odd combination of of incredible sadness and unexpected rage, all leading to this profound sense of helplessness. So much of what I don't know, but here's what I do know. And and I'm guessing that this is true of so many of you, is that, that if you see somebody attacking somebody that you love, you speak up. And you step in, and you use whatever power that you do have to help that person that's being attacked or is suffering. You use whatever it is that you have available to you to step in and to do and to take action and to stop whatever that injustice is. I mean, if you ever walked into a room 
and there was a neighborhood kid that was beating up on your son, you wouldn't stand back and wait and like, well, I wonder what my son did right before that. You would never watch that and say, well, those two probably weren't getting along very well. We would jump in. And so as we hear and as we see and as we watch these different situations, that oftentimes we would say, well, I need more of the details. I don't fully understand. Not fully having all the details and not fully fully understanding is not a reason for us to avoid the discussion and not a reason for us to avoid stepping in. So what I want to do today is try to communicate with us as a church and then try to communicate to those outside of the church that, that we notice and that as a church that we see that there's an issue. And more than anything, I want to be super clear that racism is wrong and any sign of racism is evil. And so personally and as a church, we're going to care. And we're going to find ways to help. And we don't know completely what that looks like because we haven't been helping long enough. And so we've got to start finding ways to help. And what I do know is that a couple really good, fancily worded posts on social media are not going to change it. And what I do know is that one message regarding racial injustice isn't going to change it. It's just the start. But here's what I know for me. Anytime that I feel attacked, any time I feel like somebody is coming after me, if I have anybody else that stands up next to me, there's power there. And anytime I feel attacked, and anytime I feel like somebody is coming after me, if somebody steps in front of the attack, that's powerful. And so what I want to say is that we're going to respond. And I'm inviting you as a church to join and to seek justice and to show mercy, and to walk humbly with God. I'm asking you to help. And what's really interesting, again, is that as soon as we start talking about justice, I know that, that on some, for some sides they're saying, well, it's the police officers, and they're completely out of control, and, and we've got to get the policing system, and it's the police's fault. Hear me again. This is not a police officer situation. Yes, there's some things that we've got to deal with. This is about all of us. This is about me. This is about you. This is about all of us figuring out how we move through this. And yeah, there are bad police officers. You know what else there are? There are bad pastors. And there are bad and evil people all over the place. But when it comes to police officers, every single officer that I know personally... And we have many of you that are part of Silver Creek. And we're closely connected to the Linwood Police Department. And each of you, I I care about you, and I love you dearly. And I would tell all of you that every single individual that I know that is a police officer, that is a part of the policing system, they are amazing individuals who went into that profession because they love justice. And they care deeply, and they honestly want to make a difference. And so to those of you that are a part of the police system or if you're police officers, this is not me attacking you. This is me attacking our hearts and the ways that we have individually and collectively responded. And and I'm honestly convinced we don't have to choose a side. We can 100% wholeheartedly be against racial injustice and at the same time be supportive of honorable police officers. 
We can be both. We, we don't have to choose. We have to take action. We have to do something. We have to choose to do what's right. And again, I recognize we aren't going to solve racial injustice this morning. But it has to be maybe the start. And there's lots of issues that right now we could deal with. There's lots of things that are going on in our world that we could tackle. I recognize all of those things are happening. But right now, we have to start, and we are going to begin talking about ways that we can take steps towards healing and towards stopping the injustice. Finding some ways that we can begin to take those steps that will begin to bring healing in the lives of those that have been impacted, and honestly, some healing in our own hearts, and to begin to stop some of the injustice. And here's what I know about this morning. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous morning. Because it is really, really easy for me to say the wrong thing. It is really easy for me to use a word or put things out of order or say it in a wrong context. It is really easy for me to mess this up and to be misunderstood. But it's a risk that has to be taken. It is a choice that needs to be made. And honestly, coming into this morning, Elizabeth and I have done lots of homework because we needed to. And we spent hours and hours and hours. We actually stopped calculating how many hours that we were investing into understanding this better. And so we've been praying and we've been listening to God and we've been spending time in Scripture and seeing what, what God calls us to and what Jesus is all about. And we've spent time on phone calls with leaders that we trust and listening to leaders that we believe in, leaders that we were following and listening to way before this, and then leaders that we, we believed in what they, they taught and what the concepts, and, and then out of this, we're hearing from them. And we're trying to spend time hearing, of, hearing from people of color who are attempting to continue to communicate things that they've been communicating for years, and now we're just hearing. And all of this has been done in an attempt to help us as a church see how we can get in the middle of something super complicated, but do it in a way that is loving and in a way that will make a difference. So we've gotten some advice, and we've listened, and we've over this and trying to see what is it that we can do that will start beginning to bring healing and begin to stop injustice that's happening in the world. So I roll these out to you as a church family that, that I believe that we have the power that God gives us through the power of God that we can actually make a difference because sometimes we can look at it and say, this can't change, There's too, it's too big. But I'm convinced that we can actually make a difference and it starts here, it starts with us, and then it starts as we begin to reach into our community. So I want to give you four steps for the healing to start and for the injustice to stop. The first step is this, is we simply have to admit that racism is real. We have to admit it. And even if we don't think it is, maybe we haven't seen racism, maybe we're not aware of it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does. It's all over the world. It's all over our country. It's all over our community. It exists. It exists in systems. It exists in policies. It exists in our actions. And maybe just because we haven't had the perspective and our perspective is limited, maybe just because it hasn't hit home doesn't mean that it's not real for so many people. And so we have to acknowledge that racism is real. And the bottom line is, we can't be a part of a solution. We can't be a part of bringing an answer to a problem if we don't acknowledge that it exists. So we have to acknowledge it. We also have to acknowledge it. It's not a new deal. It's a deal that's been a reality for a long time. 
but we have to choose to not ignore it. We have to choose to not put it aside. That's exactly what Jesus did. He just, he just dealt with it. He faced it. Check out the very beginning of a very familiar story. Most of us know this story. If you've been around church for a long time, but check out the beginning of this story. It says this. It says, so he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now the rest of the story, if you've been around church for a while, you know that how the story goes. Jesus is about to meet a lady at a well. This is the very beginning of that story where Jesus is going to walk up to a well and a lady's going to come up and he's going to, hey, can I have a drink of water? She's going to get him some water. And then the story goes from there. But we have to understand this lady, she is despised by her own people because of her lack of morality. And at the same time, she is completely despised by the Jews because she is a Samaritan. Jesus is Jewish. She's a Samaritan. The people that lived in Judea and the people that lived in Galilee were Jewish. And the road that you would take to go from Judea to Galilee, there was a road that was a straight shot right through Samaria. And when I say a straight shot, it was still a two-day journey. But Jewish people hated the Samaritan people so much that rather than passing right through there, they would take the long route to go around. And when I say the long route to go around, literally double the time. Take a two-day journey and turn it into a four-day journey because you didn't want to walk through a specific area. And the four-day journey was hotter, more difficult, more exposed. But this tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had to meet with the woman from Samaria. He had to because he had to face the racism that was happening. He had to admit that it was real. And there was lots to that conversation and there was lots going on with that. But he was saying, I'm going to go deal with it. He was admitting lots of things that were going on, but he was also admitting that the people in Samaria needed him to pass through so that he could acknowledge that they were there. And you and I in our lives, we can continue to take the long route and we can continue to avoid the reality of racism and claim that it doesn't exist, but it doesn't mean it goes away. But when we begin to admit that racism is real, now we can actually begin to take steps to actually begin to deal with the issue and address the things that are going on. And Jesus had to go to Samaria. And I think you and I have to admit that racism is real if we're going to bring any healing and justice. And once we admit that it's real, the second step, the second thing we have to do is we have to listen. We have to ask questions, and then we have to listen, and we have to hear the different stories, and we have to hear from people that have different backgrounds. And this means that we probably have to listen to people that have viewpoints that are different than us. We have to listen to the people that we don't agree with. And maybe we even have to listen to people that have solutions that we don't support, but we have to hear we have to listen, and when we choose to listen, it gives us an opportunity to understand, and it gives us an opportunity to empathize, and as we empathize, now we can actually just show value by taking time to listen and demonstrate worth by listening. When you and I choose to listen, it doesn't necessarily mean I agree with everything that somebody's saying. Listening doesn't mean I'm just going to blindly follow, but listening says, I value you enough that I want to hear where you're at. I want to hear your heart. And right now, there are so many resources. If at any point of you, you're like, well, I don't have anybody to listen to, not an excuse. There is so much available for us to listen to. 
And I'm gonna, we just mentioned that there's some connect groups starting up, and I'm just going to put a plug in for my own. The connect group that I'm going to be leading this, this next fall, we're going to be watching and we're going to be listening to some videos, a series of videos called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And there's a gentleman that put himself out there and began to answer a lot of the questions and a lot of the ideas and things that, that so many of us that are white are wondering And after we watch the video, we're going to consider and look at some verses out of the Bible that pertain to those particular topics, and we're going to dive into conversations, and really what we're going to do is try to process what was just said and listen at a deeper level and really try to understand the perspective of this black man that is putting himself on the line and letting us hear his thoughts. And let me tell you up front, as the title says, you will probably be uncomfortable. And the conversations will probably go to a place where you're like, I don't even know what to do with that. And we will likely be uncomfortable. But some of the most profound moments and some of the most powerful moments in our lives happen when we are outside of our comfort zone. So we just have to care enough. We just have to care enough to ask. We have to care enough then to listen. We have to care enough to feel somebody else's pain. And honestly, Jesus did this all the time. I was trying to figure out what, I had to like narrow down which story I was actually going to highlight where Jesus gave us an example of this. Jesus was continually stopping so he could listen. One particular story, Jesus is walking through a crowd of people and there are people everywhere. There's a mob following him. One particular blind guy who's sitting on the side of the road, who makes his living, who provides for himself by begging, starts calling out, Jesus have mercy on me. And really, there's no way that Jesus should be able to hear this guy who's yelling over the crowd. Nobody should be able to hear this, and yet, listen to what happened. It says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Jesus is going somewhere. Jesus has something happening, and Jesus had to stop so he could listen. And you and I, one of the things we have to do is we have to stop going so we can listen. And we have to stop moving so we can listen. And we have to stop doing and stop planning and stop defending and stop talking so we can listen. And what Jesus did is he stopped and then what he turned and he said to the guy is, what can I do for you? Jesus didn't turn to the guy and said, here's what I'm going to do for you. Jesus didn't. Jesus probably knew. Jesus probably could have assumed that he knew what this guy needed, but what Jesus did is he just stopped and he said, tell me what you need, I'm going to listen. And if we don't stop to listen, we won't know the issue, we won't know the problem, we won't hear the concern, and we might try to solve something that doesn't need to be solved. So we have to stop to listen. And when we stop to listen, we demonstrate that we care. And when we don't stop to listen, we demonstrate we don't care. And when we don't stop to listen, we demonstrate we don't value the individual. So if we're going to stop the injustice and if we're going to start the healing, it begins where we admit that racism is real. And then we start to listen. And then we move to step three. And step three is we pray. And I know that when we say pray, there's a lot of people who say, well, it's time to stop praying and it's time to start acting. It's time to start, yes. 
But one of the most powerful things about prayer, one of the most powerful results that happens when you and I pray is we actually discover what God wants us to personally do in response to the situation that we're praying for. Prayer is so powerful. And again, one of the most powerful ways is when we discover what God wants us to do in response to the situation. Because when we pray, it's not just us coming to God telling him about the things that are going wrong on earth and the troubles that are happening around us. I mean, he's got a pretty solid grasp on that already. So prayer is often, more often than anything, it's our opportunity to uncover what God specifically has for us to do in response to the wrong and the troubles that are happening. Jesus gave an example of how to pray. Some guy said, hey, teach us how. So Jesus gave an example. Jesus said, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even at its very best moments here on earth, it will be less than what God has had planned and what God has planned for heaven. And Jesus is saying, listen, realize, let's, let's recognize that better days are ahead. And God's kingdom, God's ultimate kingdom, where everything is right, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen at some point, and let's hope it comes soon. It's going to come soon. But then Jesus says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, all will be perfect. And what he's saying is, we should be striving and we should be aiming and we should be making choices that will reflect the reality of heaven. We're not going to get there while we're on earth, but that should be what you and I are driving for each day. That God's will for what heaven will be like would be what we strive for, that, we, that this would be, that we would create a place of peace and we would create a place of love and compassion and joy that extends to everyone present, regardless of education or financial situation or gender or race or accomplishments. It doesn't mean it's going to happen on earth. It doesn't mean we're going to get there. But God's will in heaven, Jesus says, our aim should be should, that that should be done on earth. And so what that means is we should be praying, and we should be praying for our leaders that they would hear and listen to God. And it means we should be praying for the safety and the protection of individuals and people in our black community. And we should be praying for the safety and the protection of police. And we should be praying for justice. And we should be praying for compassion. And we pray for those that are suffering. Pray for those that are facing injustice. Pray for the protection of those that are protecting us. All of those things are things that we should be praying for. And ultimately, what you and I should be praying for is, God, show me what I need to do. God, change my heart where it needs to be changed. God, help me be a person that will see justice done. That will pursue mercy. That will humbly obey you. And then our last step, if we're going to stop start the healing and stop the injustice, is that you and I have to love. Let me give you some adverbs of love. I think I know what adverbs are, but let's just see if I got it right. We need to love overtly, which means it has to be seen. We need to love recklessly, which means it may cost us something. We need to love boldly. We need to love generously. We need to love unconditionally. We need to love bravely. So what that means is if there's a racist joke, we might have to step in and be like, no, 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 out of line. Not okay. We're just not going to say that again. If we're going to love recklessly and and boldly, it means we're probably going to have to stand up with others and step into areas where we might feel uncomfortable and say, you know what, in unity, I'm going to stand with you in this. 
and I'm going to stand by you, and I'm going to stand for you. And love is going to be risky. So let me lovingly take a risk and just say that black lives matter. And when I say that black lives matter, I'm saying that as a statement of fact. And I recognize that when I say black lives matter, that there's an organization that's connected to that. And when I say black lives matter, I'm not saying that we agree with everything that they stand for. I'm not saying that we agree with all that they're pushing for. I'm not saying... That's an organization, but what I am saying is that at a fact, black lives matter, and as a church, we want you to know that if you are a person of color, if you are black, your life matters. And at the same time, when we say black lives, black lives matter, I realize that we, there's the idea to respond with, yeah, all lives matter, or yeah, whatever life it is that you want to insert at the beginning of that matters. Yeah, I get all that. And all lives matter, and whatever you want to insert there at the beginning of that statement matters. But there are times where someone specifically needs to hear and know that they matter. I've got three kids. If one of my kids happened to be mistreated, or forgotten, or feel overlooked, or feel abused, or feel like they've been hurt, I don't go to that child and say, hey, by the way, I just want to make sure you know that all three of my kids matter. No way. I would go to the child that's hurting and I would say, you, you matter. I, I love you. Because when they know that they matter and they know that they're loved, now they know it, that I'm in it with them. And so love means we need to say that black lives matter. And that statement is risky. That's a risky way to love, to make that statement. But honestly, when we look at the way that our leader demonstrated love, everything he did was risky. Listen to what one of the three guys that was closest to Jesus described. John said this. He said, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you're making a choice to love and it feels like it's going to cost like even if it's going to cost you your life, then that's probably love. And if you're going to love and it feels like it's going to cost you what you value in life or it's going to cost you the, the life that you enjoy living, then it's probably love. Because if love is costly, then, it's prob then you're probably doing it right. And if you're loving and it doesn't cost you anything, then the love's probably not worth much. And as a church... We're going to keep doing everything else that we're doing. But we're also going to start looking for ways to very much become active in loving and standing against racism. And standing up and standing in with the black community. And we've already mentioned to you what we're doing with Greater Trinity. And about 25, we're sending about $25,000 of, of money from the church along with the donations that have come in. Around $5,000 from individuals. And over the next couple of weeks, we've already had conversations uh, with Greater Trinity about ways they've already put those dollars to work, and we're going to tell you more about that. But what's more exciting is what we're going to tell you about ways that you personally can begin involved, where you personally can begin volunteering, and you personally can begin helping and invest in the lives of these children, many of which are from the black community, children that desperately need us to say, we see you, and we hear you, and your life matters, and we're with you.
So individually and as a church, there's steps that we're going to start taking and that we need to step, begin taking, that we'll begin starting the healing and beginning to stop the injustice. And every week we put these connect, in your connect cards and in your message notes, we put some next steps for you to take. So as you hear all of this and as you process all of this, what's your next step? Maybe your next step is that you just need to begin taking time to listen to perspectives and stories that are different from yours. Maybe your next step is to spend some time praying that God would reveal your role in helping his kingdom and will be done on earth. Maybe your next step is to do one thing, one thing this week that lovingly counters racism. And maybe your next step is to ask God to guide your heart and your mind to be able to follow the leader as we respond to racial injustice. Whatever it is for you this morning, I would just pray that you would allow God to speak to your heart, that you would recognize our opportunity to follow our leader. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, we tackle a heavy issue. And part of the reason we have to tackle a heavy issue is that we haven't tackled it often enough. So Jesus, this morning, I would just ask that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our minds, you would help us and cause us to see way, the ways that we can respond, that you would challenge us where we're missing it, where you would open our eyes to what we don't see, that you would open our ears to what we haven't heard. God, help us to see justice, to pursue mercy, and to humbly follow you and obey what you've called us to do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.